Indiana industries rely more on water than any other state. That's according to a recent report from the University of Michigan. And now a new study commissioned by the Indiana Chamber of Commerce warns that unless state officials take necessary action now, Indiana could face water shortages in the future, which could in turn hurt economic growth. As a result, the chamber is calling for legislative action to develop a long-term water management strategy. But whether that happens depends on how important the legislature thinks a statewide water management plan is and whether they are willing to fund it. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, and today on Noon Edition, we'll discuss the call to action with a member of the study's advisory council, a representative from the Department of Natural Resources, and a lecturer in the School of Public and Environmental Affairs. And we invite you to join the conversation right after this hour's news. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement, offering undergraduate and advanced degrees, publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. A recently released report from the State Chamber of Commerce warns that uh, state officials must take action now in order to prevent water shortages in the future. The study calls for a water resource plan to conserve and manage the state's water supply, and that's going to be the topic uh, that we um, speak about in depth today on Noon Edition. We have... uh, Three guests with us, two are in the studio. One's joining us by phone. Mark Bash is in the studio. He's the section head of water rights and usage for the Indiana Department of Natural Resources. Frank Nerwicki is here again. Frank's a frequent guest on the show, it seems, these days. He is a lecturer in the Indiana University School of Public and Environmental Affairs. And Rhonda Cook is joining us by phone. She is with the Indiana Association of Cities and Towns and served on the Advisory Council for the Chamber of Commerce's study. So if you have questions or comments on this, if you want to give us a call, it's 855 in Bloomington, 855-0811 in Bloomington, or 1-877-285-9348. Outside of the Bloomington area, you can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, or you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So welcome to everybody. Rhonda, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being here. And Frank, welcome back. And Mark, welcome. Yes. Glad to have you here. Thanks. So Mary Catherine and I were sort of chatting beforehand. I mean, you know, we're sitting here in Indiana, and we, I guess we all just sort of assume, like, when we flip the light switch, the lights are going to go on. When we turn the faucet, the water is going to keep running. So, you know, this is an issue that people don't think about often, but, you know, they do in California and a lot of other places. Mm-hmm. So now it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, one that we need to get ahead of, I guess. So, uh, Rhonda, I want to turn to you first. So maybe you can explain to us, uh, you know, what what this study was all about, how long it went on, and and a little bit about what it says. Well, um, for several months now, a few months, uh, we have been meeting over at the Indiana Chamber, um, several stakeholders in this discussion, um, to talk about a beginning a water plan, or at least to begin the discussion for how we develop a water plan. And uh, this 
was led by Dr. Jack Whitman, and it was commissioned by a, a money that was from the Indiana State Chamber Foundation. And uh, so we, we had a great deal of discussion about um, laying out the playing field for where we need to go from here. And recently, the State Chamber last Friday had a press conference and released the report after the work has been compiled and uh, kind of lays out where we think the direction needs to go from here. Mm-hmm. And some of the, I know some of the key points uh, that you know we're sitting here in southern Indiana, and I know a, a, one of the one of the key points is that it doesn't seem that there are as many water resources south of Bloomington as in maybe other parts of the state. There's a really interesting map that's in the study that shows that in northern Indiana they're pretty flush with groundwater and water resources, and then in central Indiana it's kind of hit or miss. It's spotty, but in southern Indiana there's either high concentrations of water or there's broad areas where there really isn't much water at all. And, and as a matter of fact, just south of Bloomington, there is a, an area where there's not much at all in the way of water. And so in order to uh, plan for future economic development, future growth, um, there's a need to kind of start that process now. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to ask Mark, um, Mark Bash from the, the uh, Indiana Department of Natural Resources, sort of how... How does this work now? I know we had a case in Bloomington a few years ago where everybody got kind of up in arms because Bert Servas from Indianapolis was talking about how you know he wanted to have access to water from Lake Monroe, and all the Bloomington people were acting like, hey, that's our water. But <laughs> that isn't, in fact, the truth, is it? And you're right. Certainly, um, there was a little concern about that particular situation. Uh, obviously, as you know, um, City of Bloomington gets their water from, from Monroe Reservoir, which is a Corps of Engineer reservoir uh, built back in the 60s. And uh, it uh, currently supplies, uh, um, you know, the City of Bloomington. They have a contract with the Department of Natural Resources for that water. We sell the water to them at, uh, at a rate of $33 a million gallons. The, um, again, the reservoir for... Um, other uses too. There's a couple other folks that use a couple golf courses and that uh, utilize the water from the uh, from the reservoir. Also, as releases by uh, contract with the um, uh, Indianapolis Power and Light Company uh, mm-hmm. with that. But uh, the water supply uh, is is from um, from Lake Monroe. Mm-hmm. So the Corps of Engineers they built that lake in the '60s, correct? Yes. And, and then so they they. Um, uh, you know, how how does the management of the lake actually work? Well, actually, I, I'm not an expert in the uh-huh. the core management, but uh, certainly when that lake was built, the state of Indiana uh, basically kicked in uh, monies to add a water supply component to the lake. So it's a um, it's a flood control reservoir, but that water supply component then allows the state of Indiana to sell water, much as they do from Patoka Reservoir and Brookville Reservoir. Mm-hmm. There's a component for water supply. Mm-hmm. Frank, you and I were talking a little bit before the show about the history of Bloomington is really all about water. Yes, it is. Basically, at one point early on in the history of IU, there's a shortage of water, and there's actually threats of actually moving the university to another uh, locality. So. Water has always been a major issue here in, in Bloomington. Mm-hmm. All right. If you want to join our conversation about uh, a, a recent report that talks about water shortages, uh, 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area, you can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. I, I really, I guess, want to approach this from the, the macro perspective at first because, you know, as we've 
said, or as I, I alluded to earlier, I mean, they've been fighting this fight in California for a long time, Arizona. There are a lot of places where where water is a major political issue. And I, I mean, I, let me um, ask, well, any of you can join in, but I was thinking Rhonda and Mark in particular, I mean, do you see water as like a big political um, issue coming down the pike at us in the next decade or a couple of decades? I, I think so, because Water, you have to have water for most of the economic development. And the study points out, as a matter of fact, that Indiana is the uh, the state that ranks first in the country in the percentage of the economy that depends on water. We have so much manufacturing in Indiana, and that's, that's uh, what our mayors and our local officials are trying to do. Not only do they want <clears throat> to have drinking water for their, their uh, citizens, but... Excuse me. They also um, are interested in creating jobs and and driving the economy. So if you have a good water supply, a good aquifer underneath your city or town, that can be an economic driver and and the ability to uh, create jobs and bring in new companies. So is it kind of a situation where the industry located here because of a perceived um, abundance of water and then um, as it's has have we have we decreased in our uh, available water or increased in usage or how did that all transpire yes i the answer is <laughs> companies, <laughs> okay companies do locate in indiana because of that's one of the questions they ask if, if they were looking at a site to de- develop a new company or where they were going to locate that's going to be on their list of questions if they are an industrial type company where they need water supply for cooling or for whatever, um, they're going to be asking, what is the water supply like? How do I get water? And Or where am I going to buy water or have it uh, transported in? Um, so that, that is very important to companies, and uh, that is one of the you know, top questions in locating your site. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this is, a, again, a, a macro kind of question about this, but in North, you talked about northern Indiana having an abundance of water, and one of the most um, glaring examples of that, I would think, would be Lake Michigan. And it seems, you know, that's if you drive up towards Chicago and you go along Lake Michigan, you see all those industries that at one point or another up in Gary, East Chicago, all the, the region that located there, and those, those industries have fallen on hard times. My, I'm sort of driving at the, at the assumption that they would be using less water now than ever. So what's the deal with usage of, of Lake Monroe or Lake Michigan water? Well, the, the one thing is that um, if you go back to 1940, there's uh, 170 million people in the United States. Today, we doubled that. So there's more people out there to use the water. So that's one of the issues also. Obviously, um, the issue with northern Indiana with the lakes, uh, landforms are different up there and, and the aquifers are different. So, um, and a lot of that South Bend in Fort Wayne into the region has lost a lot of manufacturing jobs. It's coming back, but it's not quite the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly there, um, the, the lake represents a significant amount of water supply, obviously. Um, you know, with the Great Lakes Compact, there are some um, limitations on where that water can go, obviously. Um, you know, there are um, uh, everyone, in fact, the, uh, all the large users of significant water withdrawal facilities that were registered in that Great Lakes Basin 
um, as of 2009, December 2009, were kind of provided a, a baseline water supply um, through the Great Lakes Compact, Indiana's implementation of that compact. And, and again, a significant amount of water use certainly is there, and there has been uh, a reduction. Uh, some of that perhaps, um, you know, from, you know, lack of industry, but also some conservation um, opportunities and, and techniques that some of the industry are providing. Rhonda, because as Hoosiers, we're really not used to worrying about water, unless in the case of extreme drought, which we've certainly experienced several times over the last uh, 10 or 15 years. But does the chamber feel that they've got kind of a uh, tough sell to get the average Hoosier uh, made aware of what's coming down the pike as far as uh, potential water shortage? Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not representing the chamber here today. I'm representing the Indiana Association of Cities and Towns, and we served on the water study. And it, I, I think that um, in general, though, all the participants and stakeholders that participate in the study believe that the first step here is education, because we do have to have folks recognize the need for this planning. Right now, Indiana has enough water. We're, we're fine. But in the future, we can see that that's not probably going to be the case. As our population grows, uh, which is expected to grow by uh, a million people by 2050, as the report points out, uh, we're going to have different demands. We also know that populations are shifting, and they're coming more toward, people are moving more toward the urban centers. And so that's going to be an increasing challenge for cities and towns, particularly for those local officials, to be able to supply drinking water and, and uh, water to companies. So education is going to be really important, and that's kind of the first step of what this report is, is attempting to do. Frank? Uh, Rhonda, I think the, uh, the report has uh, major issues on planning. Um, as a certified planner that's actually on the... American Planning Association, Indiana Chapters Board, um, I think it's very important that we emphasize this planning issue. Uh, the report also states that there should be cooperation and leadership from the state universities. I, I strongly believe that Ball State with their uh, planning school, Purdue with agricultural and engineering, and obviously IU with SPIA, both in Bloomington and in Indianapolis, should be involved in this this project. and. I'm very excited. The bottom line on anything that's ever happened in the state of Indiana always comes down to funding. Uh, I remember having um, discussions on having the county engineers actually getting a stipend from the state to actually have an engineer in your county. So I think, you know, if we could work together, uh, I would love to work with IAC. In fact, uh, I have been working a little bit recently. Is that correct, Rhonda? That's right. <laughs> I'll be in Beach Grove tomorrow. Um, so I think, you know, there's a lot of things we could do, and I think there's, it's really exciting. I'm very, very excited about this uh, Chamber of Commerce uh, report. Mm-hmm. So you feel like it's a huge step in the right direction. Let's get this going. Well, I think, you know, the business community has recognized it, and they recognize that that's an impediment for future development in the state. Mm-hmm. So that's a major player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to go back to, to Mark about water rights and usage because, I, and, and again, I'm, we've probably said this, I don't know, 100 times on the show over the last 15 years or so. But, you know, we like to, you know, we, we, we need to learn a lot of things. And, you know, we're, I, I, I'll speak for myself. I, you know, I don't understand a lot about the whole system of where water, water is coming from. You know, I see lakes, I see rivers, I see, um, you know, reservoirs. 
Um, how you know how is it that water rights are distributed, and you know who decides who gets rights to use water from the Ohio River or water from Lake Michigan or water from Lake Monroe, for that matter? Well, that's a great question. In fact, mm-hmm. I think we talked about that. I was here a couple of years ago after the drought <laughs> of 2012, and a little different situation then, uh, different topics. But uh, basically, and again, I'm not a, an attorney. However, I do head up the water rights and use section, so I probably should know something about that. But uh, <laughs> the uh, in terms of groundwater rights in Indiana, uh, it basically is a what they call, at least our our attorneys call, kind of a regulated riparianism, um, and it's a uh, Indiana looks at water, particularly groundwater, as a uh, kind of like the common law, where it's there available for anybody who wants to use it, as long as it's a reasonable, beneficial purpose of use of that water. Um, the water rights law, which um, uh, is the statute that provides protection to like small capacity well owners against the impacts of large capacity pumping operations, it does put some liability where it says you can continue to pump, but if you impact small wells, you have to take care of those problems, but you can continue to operate as long as the resource can sustain that. Surface water is, again, um, that same kind of uh, uh, riparian rights where if it's there, you can use it if you have access to it as a riparian owner. The um, Generally, when there's disputes among individuals with regard to use of that water, it kind of ends up in the court system. Mm-hmm. But uh, but groundwater rights is, is pretty well regulated here in Indiana, and, and we deal a lot with that uh, under the water rights law. Well, one thing to, to point out as a good example uh, is the uh, Colorado River uh, in the West, mm-hmm. is the fact by the time it gets to the Gulf of Mexico, uh, Gulf of California, I guess it is, uh, there's really no water uh, because it's used uh, completely by that point. So we have to, from a planning perspective, we have to understand what's going on, how much water we're taking out is going to have an effect downstream also. Okay, you have to explain that to me a little bit more. The, 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 the issue is that um, there's limits on how much you could take out uh, usually, and, and I'm not an expert. We're sitting with an expert right here, but there's only a certain amount you could take out, and there's agreements. There's states' agreements in the West. Uh, water rights are very much a, a fighting word, basically, for ranchers and other people. But if you take too much out of the system, it's going to affect people downstream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Colorado River is a, is a prime example. I don't know if there's another example that you know of nearby here. Or? Yeah, I think the, certainly there have been issues, as you know, and historically, particularly when you have a, like the drought of 2012. I know that was some of the topic we had on this mm-hmm. program at that time. But mm-hmm. um, again, the way Indiana looks at water rights, you know, out west, it's kind of a, um, a prior appropriation where you have first and right um, provisions. In Indiana, it's it's not necessarily that way. And again, I'm not an attorney. We have wonderful attorneys that help <laughs> determine that. But the uh, certainly the the um, the water is there for the riparian owner to use. And uh, again, if there are issues downstream. Um, and we had did have some in, in 2012 and some of the smaller streams where folks had contacted us about limited supplies, mm-hmm. uh, mainly just for, you know, usage from, you know, maybe your irrigator was using it and there wasn't a sufficient amount for uh, someone downstream to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, cities have issues, too, when they their, their source, their intake is actually out of the water. I mean, that's, that's an issue when you have low water uh, levels. So um, it affects, there's, there's a cost involved. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people do not see infrastructure costs at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what are the main sources of, of fresh water 
in Indiana? And I know that's kind of a big question, but we mentioned several reservoirs. Yeah, I, one thing that might be of interest is certainly, as I mentioned, the I talked about the significant water withdrawal facilities, mm-hmm. the large facilities. In Indiana, if you have the capability of pumping at least 100,000 gallons per day, which sounds like a lot, but that's about 70 gallons per minute. Um, you know, household well usually does 10 gallons a minute, so it'll give you some perspective. But those particular facilities since 1985 have been required to register and report water use annually to the Department of Natural Resources. So what is wonderful, and actually this was the data that that was utilized, a lot of this data was utilized for this report, looking at historic water use over time. And and, uh, certainly Jack Whitman is very well uh, aware of this data. And, uh, but when you look at, at water use in the state of Indiana, particularly with regard to, uh, and again, this is both surface water and groundwater. Mm-hmm. So the majority of water, at least withdrawn in Indiana, is for surface water. And you guys had, had mentioned about Lake Michigan, mm-hmm. a significant amount of water withdrawn. Energy production, the power plants, withdrawal uh, of the total amount of, of, say, last year, I think we we represented about 2.7 trillion gallons of water pumped that were reportedly pumped by the significant water withdrawal facilities. Almost two-thirds of that was by um, energy production in that category of, of water use, mainly power plants. Mm-hmm. However, it's not a consumptive use particularly. It's brought in, used, and then discharged, mm-hmm. whereas other usage would be more consumptive. Mm-hmm. But uh, certainly, and a lot of that was surface water, um, you know, as you know, pulling out of streams and discharging it back. So um, the, the majority of water used in the state of Indiana is surface water, relatively speaking. Um, when it comes to irrigation, it's predominantly groundwater. Mm-hmm. But uh, and and public supply again, it's kind of a mixture. But um, but groundwater represents a significant amount of water used, but it's pretty eclipsed by the amount of water that's withdrawn from surface water sources. Okay, mm-hmm. thanks. All right, the uh, you know we've we've had again. This is another sort of very general question, probably maybe a dumb question, I don't know, but we've had conversations with people about peak oil and how you know the usage of oil is growing faster than the availability of oil that we have. Is there ever going to be a case for, like, we hit peak water, that we don't have enough fresh water that's being replenished to be able to uh, – I mean, is that at the at the heart of some of this issue where it's spreading from California now to other parts of the, of the country? Should we be really worried? I guess I'll take that. Okay. <laughs> Everyone seems to be looking at me. So, uh, I'm not Please. sure what Rhonda's doing, but uh, uh, certainly the – you know, what we look at in, in terms of water use is obviously, in, in fact, for the last couple of years, we've seen a, a decline in, at least in terms of significant water withdrawal facilities and their usage. And a lot of that, as we mentioned, because of maybe the industrial impact and, and conservation methods and things like that. But um, um, certainly what, when we look at, at areas that use significant amounts of water, particularly in Indiana, where first we have a you know, when it, when it comes to comparing west to east, um, the amount of rainfall we have here is, you know, much more. I mean, we get, you know, average maybe 40 inches in Indiana, 35 to 40 inches, whereas, you know, out west, um, you may get half or a third of that or even less sometimes. So that recharge is a huge advantage here mm-hmm. in the state of Indiana. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, there aren't situations long term where we see uh, an overall loss of water levels like in some of the major aquifer systems. Certainly when there's times of pumping, uh, like an irrigation season, you might see some declines. Um, other times of withdrawal uh, around certain industry. But but in terms of the actual resource, particularly groundwater resource, is, is um, pretty resilient. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks for tackling that. I appreciate I, it. Sure. Not, not a very good question. All right. No. We, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, go. We're gonna take a short break, but I want to tell Rhonda when we come back. I want to talk about recommendations, Rhonda, because you have several in this report. So we want to get to that. Um, we're talking about the Indiana State Chamber of Commerce's recently released study warning state officials uh, must take action now to prevent water shortages in the future. That's our topic for today. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. Or you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. We will be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Communications. More information at smithville.net. And IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. Today we're talking about a recently released report from the State Chamber of Commerce that warns that uh, water shortages may be in our future if we don't take some action now to prevent them. We have three guests with us, two in the studio. Mark Bash is here. He's the section head of water rights and usage in the Indiana Department of Natural Resources. And Frank Nerwicki is with us. He is a lecturer in the Indiana University School of Public and Environmental Affairs. And also joining us by phone, representing the Indiana Association of Cities and Towns, uh, is Rhonda Cook. She served on the advisory council for this the, this Chamber of Commerce study that we're talking about today. So if you have uh, questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So we want to start talking about um, some of the remedies for this and some of the recommendations. I think we may have lost Rhonda on the phone for the, for just temporarily. We'll get her back. But, uh, you know, Frank, from your perspective, you know, what are, what are some things, you know, you're in public policy. What are some policy matters that the state should be looking at to try to make sure we don't have water shortages in the future? Well, the, the issue on this kind of comes down to there's so many players involved. And I think this report has done a very good job of trying to get as many people involved as possible. Obviously, you have to have the business people on board. You have to have the uh, General Assembly. And you also need to have local elected officials. And uh, they're really making the decisions at the local level. So um, from a policy perspective, we need to be able to, to meet and try to understand how to address this 10 to 20 years from now. 
Mm-hmm. So who in the, in the legislature is responsible for dealing with these issues? Do, Do we know? know? Is there a... There's probably a subcommittee. A subcommittee for this or... Yes. And I'm, I'm, it's a, a lot of the committees <laughs> were kind of revised recently. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there was a um, um, natural resources study committee, water resources study committee. Mm-hmm. Usually it was the water resources study mm-hmm. committee that mm-hmm. would... Um, to, would tackle issues like this. Um, again, they're, uh, now they're being joined with another committee, and I'm not really certain. Well, a lot of policy has to do, I, I would think, in areas like this would have to do with supply and demand. So, uh, Frank, can you kind of expand on that? I mean, how can we increase the, what policies could increase the supply or what policies could maybe mitigate the demand? Well, the one thing the state, it sounds like there's a little bit of a north-south issue on, on the availability of water. Um, sometimes we get more water than we need in certain areas. So there might be issues on piping water at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at, I know the studies talked about a reservoir uh, in a, near, near Anderson, I believe. So that there's, there's some talk about new uh, sources of water. Mm-hmm. But the other issue, too, is conservation. And obviously on home usage, which is a smaller portion than, than the industry, is that there's low flush uh, water usage and some other things and uh, washing machines and some other mm-hmm. things are going on. So we are trying to do that as much as possible. But uh, until someone has to do something, they tend not to do that. Um, and uh, a lot of times the federal uh, groups actually go ahead and give unfunded responsibilities and mandates to mm-hmm. local governments. But there has to be funding that comes along with this. Mm-hmm. All right. If you want to join us, and I think we have a caller who's about to go on the air with us, but uh, you can give us a call at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. Uh, I guess we're not ready for the call yet. So let me let me go back to, to ask um, again about – so. What's it take to to create a new reservoir? What what would be? I know Lake Monroe was that was a huge issue mm. back in the '60s in Monroe County when that was built. If there's discussion of of building a new reservoir in uh, the Anderson or Muncie area up there, can you talk a little bit about how that how that happens? I wish I could. I <laughs> Actually, I, I, there is an awful lot involved in new yeah. reservoir mm. siting, mm-hmm. and um, and at least. Personally, when you look at it, you know, we've had, you know, the three major reservoirs here in Indiana, the you know, Brookville, Patoka, and Monroe, and, and nothing really since then, at least in terms of by the Corps of Engineers. Mm-hmm. So I, I think they um, certainly are, I think, difficult to construct and to place, mm-hmm. it seems. The, um, I'm from northern, northeastern Indiana, and on the upper Wabash, we have a system of three reservoirs. Roush, which used to be Huntington Reservoir, uh, Salamone and Ashley Missinawa. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing about this, too, is whenever you do anything, be it a road, I guess we've had a road issue here in, in southern Indiana at one point, um, is that you're going to be covering up, you know, with water, some farmland. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be people affected. There may be people moved. Uh, so there's a lot of issues there that have to be addressed. Yeah, and that's interesting, too, because you're covering up some of the most productive farmland in the world uh, with water, which which is also needed. So it's a real going to be a real struggle, I would think. Right. 
All right, I think we have a, a caller who just left a question with uh, Lacey, our producer, is Jim, and he wants to know, um, you know, which one of the areas of the state are going to face shortages uh, the most quickly, you know, which cities in particular and how soon Indianapolis might face problems with water shortages. Um, and then there's a second part about, about rates. So uh, I guess we'll, we'll get to that. Do we have Rhonda back? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Rhonda. Yeah, I think you should take that one. <laughs> Um, well, about there's, a really, yeah, which there's a good cities? graphic in the study mm-hmm. that um, makes it pretty clear. If you look at the top part of the state, it's in green and blue, meaning it has a lot of water. Southern Indiana, it's in pink. Um, so that means it has not very much water in large areas, although there are some along the Ohio River and certain, uh, along certain streams, there's, there's quite a bit of water, and that's colored in blue. So we know that um, the I-69 corridor, that's going to be a, a big uh, economic development boom, we hope, but there's not a lot of water in certain places around that I-69 corridor, so uh, we've got to start planning for that now and how we get water resources over there. So um, I, I don't know particularly which city, um, but I know that southern Indiana cities have always um, had more difficulties than northern Indiana cities and towns uh, in trying to make sure that there's an adequate water supply. So, so, again, I guess I have that simple question. How do we get water over to those places? Well, it, it requires infrastructure. Um, mm-hmm. to, to build the infrastructure to when there's not adequate uh, supply that you, can, that you can bring water from a place that has water and, and build that infrastructure to, to maintain the proper uh, level that you would require to, to operate a city. Mm-hmm. Right. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say I'd hate okay. to interrupt, but I, one of those, a good example might be the use of Patoka Reservoir. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patoka Regional Water withdraws water from Patoka Reservoir, which is a Corps of Engineer Reservoir, mm-hmm. and um, provides water to at least 11 counties, maybe 12 now. Um, you know, a, a, again, kind of a model for distributing water to an area that is uh, relatively um, void of groundwater. Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, the, um, the reservoir does provide um, significant amount of um, of availability for that area where there wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And so uh, again, the, let's let's go over the the the, uh, the question. One, the question from Jim. The question from Jim involved rates as well. So when we're building this infrastructure, I mean, this is, is this a is the infrastructure going to be? I mean, where where does the and I'm looking at Frank because you know you're involved with planning but you know who pays for all the infrastructure is it going to be the ratepayers who get the water or would it be a, the community that has the water coming to it the the uh, the rates would actually be uh, dependent on who's using the water uh, if it's industry it's going to be there might be a high uh, usage this is something that you might know a little bit more about but uh, the high volumes usually have a discount on their water usage um, but there's usually that it's, it's the, the person asks, or the group using the water will pay for it. The issue on this, you could talk about from a policy perspective, should there be the whole state? Should there be an issue on this so that everyone's paying for the water and then each individual will be paying less? Mm-hmm. Um, of course, that's a revenue tax issue that no one likes to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just to follow up on that, too, um, it's going to cost some money to do to carry out the planning process and to find out where our water supplies are and how much we have and how we regulate those. And so that's going to be a cost. Other states 
have implemented various mechanisms to pay for that. Maybe it's a tax on bottled water. Uh, I think they, I think that's Texas that does that. Um, so how do we come up with the money from the state in order to put the planning process and the management in place? With the planning, also, you need to have some local people on the ground. The report kind of talks about that a little bit of having more local and regional planning efforts mm-hmm. being done. So there's some planning groups in the state, but there's, um, there's vast areas. And areas probably where the water is scarce to actually have some planning um, professionals uh, involved. Well, it's interesting looking at the recommendations from the study that I just happen to have in, in front of me. Of course, the, the first recommendation is to create awareness about the need for water supply planning, which I think we've referenced several times as Hoosiers. We're like, oh, well, we didn't know we had to do that. But um, then create capacity to coordinate effort, uh, create a robust system for monitoring water resources, create standardized system for data analysis, which is, I think, a very interesting point. I, I guess I would have just assumed that, you know, that was that was already in place. So it seems like uh, this has been... Uh, something happening maybe differently on local levels, and so looking for some standardization in that area. Is that a, a fair assumption? Get everybody analyzing the same things and so they can compare data accurately? Yeah, I, right? I think so. I think it's... Um, and again, just the whole idea of, of the of the data acquisition um, and data management, you know, there, there has been a, a concern here in Indiana, and certainly I'm um, this report talks about the uh, the reduction in monitoring wells that the mm-hmm. state of Indiana had. You know, historically, back to prior to 2003, we had about 90 or so USGS continuous recording monitoring wells throughout the state. That actually provided a nice um, baseline for the water resource. Mm-hmm. And because of funding issues, that was cut back to currently you know 35 or so. Some are privately funded, but um, having that kind of data uh, is certainly important. The, the the observation wells that are currently in place uh, are wonderful, and mm-hmm. they have real-time data. You can, you know, USGS does an amazing job of keeping that information updated and those working, and, and you can hop on there on their website and look at current water level. But mm-hmm. that gives you a nice basis having that information and, and, and evaluating the resource. Is one of the things you'd like to see happen, maybe go back up to that 90 level? Would that be helpful? I, I'm not sure what that number is, whether 90 was appropriate or whatever, but... Uh, Certainly, it uh, was gave us a little more coverage in the state. Yeah, a little bit more data. And then it says um, create systems to effectively manage the water resources and allow three years for that implementation. Now, I'm not a planner, but that seems like maybe not enough time. What do you think, Frank? Well, it just uh, depends how fast the uh, some people in General Assembly want to move on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right. It probably will take more time, but I think a three-year startup period would be uh, – a good situation. I think they're looking at trying to have a organization set up. I don't know if the General Assembly would really go for another layer of government um, in, in this realm of reality here in Indiana. But I think from a perspective of having the universities as leaders, uh, maybe consulting with some state agencies and having a, uh, a steering committee, something along those lines might be the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, I would highly, of course, I'm a planner, highly recommend having more planners out there. And obviously with environmental issues, uh, SPEE would be very much involved, would like to be involved in that process. 
Uh, we do have a question from our live chat about the water quality. Uh, Louise says, what about water quality? Most of Indiana is in the Ohio River watershed. Most pollution has been cleaned up. But what about non-point source, uh, sources of pollution like agriculture? What's non-point sources? You, gotta tell, you have to define that for us first, or for me anyway. Well, I'm a DNR employee, so there's a real division in Indiana between water quantity and quality. So that's always my fallback position when someone asks a quality question. However, uh, Indiana Department of Environmental Management is the agency involved with that. But non-point source would be, you know, I, the way I look at it is like a, a gas station tank leaking versus, um, you know, a large, you know, agricultural operation or something, not picking on agriculture, but something larger that would be distributing perhaps some water quality impacts to a stream or something rather than just a point source, mm-hmm. um, the difference between the two. And then, again, looking at this report, it's it's specific just to quantity. I think that was something mm-hmm. that, that uh, Jack Whitman was, you know, pretty concerned about is to get a handle on the water quantity. Well, I think we'll have to t- tell Louise. Thanks for the, the question, Louise. I'm not sure we can answer the, the quality issues today. We're talking more about quantity. And I want to go back to, to Rhonda Cook, who was on the advisory council for the, uh, the study. And Mary Catherine just sort of ran through some of the recommendations. Mm-hmm. Could you expand on you know, what, what the uh, report means in terms of these recommendations? Sure. Uh, we already talked about the creating awareness, yeah. the educational component, but mm-hmm. um, creating the capacity to coordinate efforts. So um, it recommends that the General Assembly should pass legislation that ensures that agencies and universities can work together for a common goal. Um, we've already mentioned that there are various agencies, such as IDEM, that monitors uh, water quality and the Department of Natural, Natural Resources that handles quantity. We also have the Utility Regulatory Commission that handles uh, water utilities. And uh, so we really need to talk about getting all of that into to one place or one set of oversight uh, so that we can move forward with that coordination. That's going to take some funding and discussion about how that plays out. So it's possible that coming up in the maybe this General Assembly or um, some future General Assemblies, once we've had a chance to to maybe look at this plan a little bit longer or this study, that uh, we'll see some legislation that will result of that. Uh, the other part of the recommendations is about monitoring, and Dr. Whitman, in preparing the report, um, discusses the need for more monitoring wells and more uh, ways to analyze our, our streams and underground water sources. Um, also, how to standardize our, our data um, so ultimately, we can come up with a management plan that will work for the entire state, and we're kind of looking at it from a big picture instead of the way we're doing it now is more regional and mm-hmm. um, in bits and pieces so that we can have a more comprehensive plan. Now, I don't know how much uh, the funding issue came up in the, the committee discussions or in the in putting the study together, but um, the chamber has come out and said um, Kevin Brenninger, the chamber president and CEO, who was a guest on this show just uh, probably six weeks ago or so, uh, said the legislature needs to set aside at least $10 million next year to make an initial investment uh, to start collecting this water resource data and also to begin work on, on a water resource plan. Um, Rhonda, was there a longer-term vision for for the how much money um, you would like the state to set aside? 
Well, I, this is coming up on a, on a budget session, and so this mm-hmm. is probably the best time to have the discussion. Um, Kevin, I believe, referred to the $10 million because that's what Oklahoma started with. Um, the report mentions that both Minnesota and Oklahoma would be more comparable to Indiana, um, probably more than Texas and Florida, but um, they spend around $50 million a year for their water management plan. So I think he threw out the number $10 million as a good start. But that, of course, you know, we've got a, other, a lot of other priorities in the state of Indiana, and that's what the legislators uh, – main job is to do when they get back to, to the session in January is to figure out the state budget and where we put our priorities. So the $50 million you referenced, that's an annual cost for those states that you mentioned? Right. The report cites that in Minnesota and Oklahoma, they spend around $50 million uh, in those two states for their water management plan. Wow. Annually. Okay. All right. If you have a question or a comment, we have about 10 minutes to go. So you can give us a call at 855-0811 in Bloomington or one 285 outside of the Bloomington calling area. You can also join the live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition, or you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We had a caller who uh, made a good point, left a message, and says that uh, she grew up during a water shortage in England during World War II and says if people do little things like not running water while brushing their teeth, they can conserve a lot of water. And uh, I'd like to invite her to my house to share that with my teenage son. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, from a planning standpoint, I mean, how, how much can conservation um, how important is that to this whole effort? It goes with the education. Um, is that we start thinking about maybe not running the water when we're brushing our teeth, trying to install low usage uh, appliances in our homes, we can become more aware of it, so we understand it better. So it's not of an, as much of an abstract type of situation for people to, to understand. So it can be... Um, as big or as little as, as actually we get compliance on. Mm-hmm. All right. We, we have a phone call, so we're going to go to Dave from Bloomington, who's on the line. Dave? Yes. Uh, I'm going to ask a rather dumb, possibly dumb question or a, a brilliant question, whichever. Uh, what about the use of rainwater? It's been raining an awful lot around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, can can we uh, increase our water supply by using rainwater? So capture the rainwater before it enters the the systems. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Well, I think obviously the the precipitation that we get here in Indiana is the reason why our water resources is so good. Um, oh, certainly, okay. certainly the um, you know the reservoirs would take advantage of of you know surface water runoff and the rainwater. Oh, I and I think, you know... I'm thinking, I'm thinking in more in terms of science fiction. Right. <laughs> I'm a science fiction writer. And I'm, ah. I'm thinking more in terms of science fiction. What about having huge uh, captures, uh, things that capture the rain? Well, there's rain barrels. Actually, there's issues about using that rainwater for gardening and some other issues. Uh-huh. With uh, runoff, uh, with the stormwater issue... Um, well, but when it comes from the sky, directly from the I'm yeah. very naive, uh, uneducated about rainwater, but when it comes directly from the sky, isn't it rather pure? It depends. <laughs> it is. Rainwater. Well, <laughs> if the rainwater is impure, we're really in trouble if the rainwater is impure coming directly from the sky. I'm a little bit out of my realm on this, but, yeah. but uh, there's issues in certain areas. You have acid rain and some other issues that come in. Yeah. So... Mainly, yes. Yeah. 
Yes, well, yes, what? <laughs> yes, it is safe. Um, yeah, uh, from a perspective, when, when it con- is contaminated, it's depending where it lands. Is, also, is also, per- yeah, also, rainwater, would, if it is impure, would be easier to take care of uh, when it comes directly from the sky. Now, certainly, I know when um, some of the requirements that the Department of Environmental Management, who regulates public water supply systems, yeah. um, you know, obviously a lot of the public water supply systems, like Bloomington, you know, r- removing uh-huh. surface water versus groundwater, the um, the the restrictions, the requirements, not say restrictions, but the requirements for treatment for surface water are, are much greater than they are for groundwater. Mm-hmm. Certainly groundwater in itself, as the water percolates, you know, will get yeah. a lot of the impurities will get so, caught up. So, and, uh, so theoretically, so theoretically it should be easier to uh, uh, make rainwater more pure if it is impure? Well, I think any type of surface water prior for public water supply consumption has to be Treated, treated, yes. Mm-hmm. Is, is, that, is that what rainwater is called, surface water? Uh, as soon as it hits the surface, it would be, yeah. Uh-huh. The, I mean, it, surface water is usually like your streams and your well, reservoirs. Groundwater well, would be... Well, I think in terms of the rainwater hitting uh, co- uh, hitting scientific collectors, yeah. you know, like like huge bathtubs, like gigantic bathtubs. Well, I think what, what you're kind of talking about, I know there's been discussions in the past where uh-huh. uh, large amounts of uh, flooding water uh-huh. is, you know, people say, we well, why can't that be collected? Yeah, another, we have so much water, we're, we're drowning in it, even if we drive mm-hmm. a car into it. Yeah, a good part about Indiana is... Is a lot of that water infiltrates and is available um, as as groundwater supplies, particularly in the northern part of the state. Oh, I see. Uh, All right, Dave. It's been interesting. You know, I'm not sure if we had many answers for you, but really appreciate your call. All right, we're going to go to Roger next. Roger's in Bloomington, too. Roger? Okay. You you drove me to look at my map, and I noticed in that dry area of southern Indiana, the settlers really appreciated water, and they named Clear Springs, Springville, Indian Springs, Trinity Springs, and West Baden Springs, which raises the question, are all those springs still running, or have we drawn down the groundwater so that we don't have the natural phenomena any longer? What a great question, Roger. Actually, that is a great question. We get calls periodically in our office, um, uh, particularly maybe from potential water bottling companies that are looking for spring water to be able to obviously sell it as that. And and a lot of the springs that at least we're familiar with in our office are still flowing. There's a lot of them that, that are still operating, and they're all over the state, and they're so geologically controlled. Obviously, some of them are um, can be seasonal. If you have, you know, sometimes in a dry year, they won't be flowing, but some of them still do. Um, but there are certainly a lot of um, springs are what we would call, you know, flowing wells uh, in the state of Indiana. Thank you. Good Thanks, Roger. Day. All right, Roger. Thanks a lot for the call. And I think our last call today is going to be from Bruce. Bruce is in Bloomington. Yes. Uh, the uh, I've actually studied water supply, and uh, the uh, one of the issues that uh, people like to bring up is uh, the amount of water available to fight fires. And uh, it's one of those things that's uh, probably not going to come up very often, but if we have a major drought... Um, We've got uh, a great problem with expanding our subdivisions into uh, the county and uh, not uh, assuring that there's an adequate water supply uh, for firefighting. And uh, people don't want to talk about it and they don't want to pay for it. Um, But basically, in this part of the state, uh, the problem is not... uh, so much the amount of water, uh, it's the distribution. 
and uh, so I won't go into detail, but uh, there's a lot of ways to meet the problems. You know, they can build ponds and have hydrants uh, on the ponds and haul water. but uh, just uh, some comments on that uh, would be welcome. Okay, Mark, you're nodding your head. You're <laughs> well, nodding your head. So. Well, I think he, he actually said it right at the end there. It, it, a lot of times um, a water resource issue, water supply problem, isn't necessarily the source itself as it is uh, the distribution of that water. And certainly some of the larger communities, city of Indianapolis, is, you know, would tell you the same thing. At certain times of the day, they have you know, their peak usage. And, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, again, uh, not to say that a source can't be an issue, but uh, a lot of times it is the uh, avail- you know, ability to get that water to that uh, distribution system and to those folks. And certainly to a situation like this where having the adequate volume pressure for firefighting is uh, is a real concern mm-hmm. for utilities. <laughs> all right. I want to thank all three of our guests today. So, you know, today's topic was water, and you're going to be hearing a lot more about this as the years go on. So I feel like we were kind of here first, maybe. Mark Bash has been here with us today. Frank Nierwicki and Rhonda Cook joined us by phone. I want to thank all three of them, as well as producer Lacey Scarmana, engineer Mike Pashkash, and my good friend Mary Catherine Carmichael. Um, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. You can find podcasts of this and other WFIU programs at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement. Offering undergraduate and advanced degrees. publichealth.indiana.edu.